So first of all, you ladies are really lucky. You come into a men's room like this. Uh, there's like a chorizo burrito that's half eaten in the back. And uh, that's about it. There's, there's, there's no little butterflies, nothing. So I know y'all had to bring your kids, some of you, but uh, feel very blessed. We don't get this on the, on the men's side very much. Are we, are we on? Yeah, you're okay. on. <clears throat> um, hi, my name is Jennifer Bailey, and this is my husband, Andrew. And um, we were asked to come um, by Leslie in the fall just to come speak. And she said, what do you want to talk about? And um, the Lord's just been teaching me a lot and putting a lot on my heart to um, share with women in general. And this was just a topic that I had just heard um, is a big one for most of you that have little kids and how do you choose to love and respect your spouse in the middle of having young kids when your spouse isn't stepping up, when they're not helping you, when you're not communicating well? So we're going to tell you the first seven years of our marriage and um, just really lay out what that looked like. And pretty much you're going to see fail, 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 fail. Um, and then the Lord came in and um, changed both of us. Um, so this is a picture of our family. Um, so we, we did at one time have four kids under the age of six. Um, so kids. it was a lot of kids at one time. We actually met in the fourth grade, um, walked into fourth grade class, and there was Andy, and he was, um, as, as his kid, our kids say, they're like, Dad, you had hair and abs at one time. And so, um, Maybe someday the abs will come back. I don't think the hair's going to do it. Um, so we grew up to best friends um, all through school. We attended Texas A&M together. Our oldest daughter is actually at A&M right now um, as a junior, and um, our son is at Blinn, and then our other two are still home. So it doesn't um, get easier when they get bigger. It's just different. Um, but I would say the work you do when they're little is a huge testimony to what your teenagers will look like. And for us, it's just been a lot of fun. Um, we've been married for 23 years, um, and we've been at Watermark for 15. So we actually started in Lake Highlands, and we'll tell a little bit about that as we get into our story. Um, and then we came, when they were going to start the Plano campus, they asked us to come and just help launch Plano. And it's been super fun and um, just a joy to be able to be a part of the ministries and re-engage. And um, so our kids are 20, 18, 15, and 14. So as of last year, we had 14s. And um, like I said, it's just really been a lot of fun for us. And so you are going to get all your time back. You're going to sleep one day. Um, you're going to have more date nights than you ever imagined because all of a sudden everybody has plans and nobody's home. And so um, put in the hard work now because you'll get it all back. And it's really super sweet. Um, my son was on the couch with me last night and I was trying to go through the talk a little bit. And he said, Mom, are you nervous? You look nervous. And this is not comfortable for me. Andy does it so much better. But um, and he goes, and he, str he struggles with stuttering. He's my 18-year-old. And he said, Mom, but at least you can get your words out. So you should have confidence when you get up there because you, you can, whatever you want to say, you can say it. And I was like, thanks, Carter. So um, anyway, Andy's going to tell a little bit about what our marriage looked like in the first seven years. And then we're going to talk about each of our individual perspectives on the way I felt and the way he felt. So before I jump in, I just want you to know how imperfect I am. So Jen talked about, you know, we knew each other since the fourth grade. And supposedly in the fourth grade, she got this perm that she was so happy about. And she came to our school in the fourth grade as a new kid. And I told her she looked like a poodle. I, I do remember that. I don't remember the next one, which happened in the sixth grade. Yeah. I supposedly told her she needed a bra. I do not remember that 
at all, but she does, and her memory's a lot better than mine when it comes to my mistakes, for Hence sure. Hence why we didn't yeah. date till our senior year of high school, yeah. because it took a long, took a long time, time to get, to get over, over that, that one, yeah. 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 yeah, so if your husbands have ever done anything mean like that to you, uh, forgive them, it'll work out. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about the first seven years. Who in here is at seven years right now? God bless you, <laughs> sweet ladies. <clears throat> we don't know what it is about seven years, but probably you've got kids that are coming up. You've got a lot going on in your life. You're working hard, trying to make money and do all these things. And uh, that, was, that was a tough time for us, mainly because of me. Um, you know, we attended church all the time. We didn't go to Watermark. We went to another uh, denomination. And we were at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and anything in between. But we were just checking the box. Like, it literally meant nothing. I would preach sometimes. I would teach Bible classes. Jen was wrestling for children, typically at church. But we were just going and showing up. Um, I never opened God's Word until I came to Watermark. And I taught. Never opened it. Never even knew of Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which was the verse that really just sparked all of this in us to even be here uh, I had no men in my life that were modeling any good communication, how to put Jennifer before myself. We, the kids had a principal. We, our kids went to an, a First Baptist Academy in Dallas, and they had a principal. I won't tell the story, don't worry. She was like, oh, gosh, please don't tell them that. Um, I wouldn't say it in this room. Maybe to a room of men I might. But he pulled me aside several times and just really shepherded me and mentored me uh, really lightly, but just really kind of gave me a picture of what it looked like to put Jennifer first. And I had never heard that from my father, from any men around me at all. It was the opposite of that. And so we had also nobody talking about conflict resolution. And there was nothing. You know, we would fight and we would, you know, a day would turn into three days and three days would turn into a week and a week would turn into a month. And uh, I think the person that uh, announced us or introduced us said, you know, sometimes you just think you're roommates. And so you may feel like roommates in here today, especially, you know, if you got little ones uh, or something hard's going on in your marriage. And we want you to know there's a ton of hope. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we had zero community. You know, it was more talking about somebody not showing up at church on Sunday uh, and, and how terrible they were because they didn't come to church. That, that was kind of Jen and I's idea of community. You know, we didn't, we had nobody being honest or authentic or talking about anything in their life, their sin, confession. I, I don't even think James 5.16 existed in my Bible when, before we came here. I know it was there. I just didn't know it was there. Um, and so, you know, we just want to encourage you as we start this talk is that these are hard years. They can be. But you're in such a different place than we were because you've got this equipping around you. You've got other ladies around you. Your husbands have men around them. And we're going to talk about how to maybe help them trust God today and choose to be around those men that are going to help them. And so, um, like I said, we dated all through college. We actually got married at our senior year of college. Um, and then I came to Dallas a year earlier and Andy finished up when you change your major three times, you <laughs> takes a little bit longer to finish. Um, but uh, we actually got along really well. He makes me laugh. And so we, our first couple years were great. And then we're like, oh, let's have a baby. And uh, so here comes Kayla. And she kind of rocked our world. First time moms, it's hard. And you don't have a clue what you're doing. And you're figuring it out every day. Um, but I just remember 
with Caleb feeling okay, and then here comes the second one, and just feeling like I was doing it all alone. Um, I didn't have much help from Andy. He was, I was working full-time. He was working full-time, and definitely never had anybody talk to me about what it would look like to stay home with my kids. Um, you know, saw my sister, and my sister had been at Watermark for a long time, and she had talked about that, but I'm like, but how do you, how do you do that, and how do you do that and financially be okay, and how do you um, stay home and, and take care of everything you got to do, but yet you know, just, I just didn't understand the role that I could have played and no, um, judgment at all on anyone who is a working mom. I am a working mom and there are times that I did go back to work. Um, but definitely didn't understand like, the heart behind what it looks like to disciple these young people that we, um, have home with us. And so I was working full time, got home. I would just be exhausted. Felt like I was tired all the time. I didn't have any help from Andy. Um, but also what I wasn't doing is communicating well. I wasn't telling him or even asking him to help. Instead, I would just go in my mind thinking, you know what you're supposed to do. You know I do baths. You know we do dinner. You know we do bedtime. You know we read books. Like, just come in here and sit down and just do one of these things. Just step in. And I would just had a lot of pride of, you should know what you should be doing. And I wasn't communicating any of that to him. I wasn't telling him um, or even sharing my frustration. I just bottled it all up and ultimately just when you continue to stuff and stuff and stuff, what happens eventually? You're going to blow. Okay. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, and I just carried around the weight of everything. I was holding everything in. I feel like I subtly tried to say things, but I don't think I really sat down and just looked at Andy and said, I am dying here and I really need your help. Um, I didn't have any desire to make it better. And as time went on, like he talked about, we just became roommates. We just were passing each other. I was doing my thing. He was doing his thing. And my thing normally included having the kids. Um, but also I didn't have any gratitude for Andy at all. I didn't look at him as that God gave him to me. I didn't look at him as someone who provided for our family so I could be home um, and I could take care of the kids. And so I just had no gratitude at all for where I was at. All I could do is just look at the hard that was right in front of me. Um, and in the, when all this is going on, I can't love Andy regardless of how I felt. I can't choose to love him in those moments. I can't choose to serve him and I can't be thankful. It's hard to hear some of that. Sorry. No, it's a mm. good, it's a good reminder because mm -hmm. God redeems that stuff, ladies. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, so the early years for me look like this. You got me emotional there. Um, I just felt like I was carrying everything financially, and it was a lot of weight. Uh, and I'm I can be a worrier around that even today. And I'm so thankful that I have Jen to help me through that. But you know, my vision is one thing happens, and the next thing you know, you're under. I-30 in a cardboard box. That, that's where my head goes, can go real fast. Like, we're homeless, you know, and I got all these kids, and what are we going to do? And that was a lot stronger when we were young because I didn't lead out well and we had debt, and that's why Jen was working, uh, because of my poor leadership financially. And I remember Jennifer once said something to me that forever gave me peace in this area. She goes, I don't care if we're in a box as long as we're together. I was like, oh, my so, so that was a super reassuring thing. Um, I felt neglected because I wasn't number one anymore. And I think you ladies know what that means without me having to say it out loud, right? Um, your husbands are most likely struggling with that if you have young, young children. I was extremely selfish. I mean, gosh, I could give myself a lot of names around that. You know, uh, Jim was working, I was working. We would come home. I would honestly plop on the couch because I thought I had earned that. 
and uh, she would, you know, cook dinner, get the kids fed, get everything cleaned up, might give them a bath in those early years. She was giving them a bath, and then what do you think I expected at 10 o'clock at night? Hey, honey, you want to get together? She did not, <laughs> and I don't blame her. Looking back on that now, I mean, she was exhausted, and I didn't even, I didn't see it. It was right under my nose, and that's why it's so important, ladies, for your men to have other men in their lives, especially older men, so they can learn from us, learn from our mistakes. I always like to hang out with older men. People go, why do you like to hang out with 60-year-olds? I go, because you've screwed it up, and I don't want to do what you did. So tell me what you screwed up. So that's usually what I say. Um, I just, you know, have very little maturity. We were married way young. I think Jen's mom even said, hey, this is going to be hard. And we're like, oh, yeah, we got this. No problem. Uh, very immature. Uh, and I viewed myself as very unappreciated. Of course I did. A selfish person does that. And then I isolated. And so whenever I'm a withdrawer in the weenie, if you guys have ever done the communication stuff, I would get mad. I didn't like something she said, and I would withdraw. So I didn't help her in being able to come to me and deal with conflict and talk through hard stuff because I would just move myself. Like she would literally, she's a pursuer, so she would get between me and the television and I would do the remote like this, you know, and look over her shoulder. Uh, that, that's how poorly I communicated in our first few years of marriage. So we uh, started growing apart. We started living as roommates. Um, we found um, that it felt really good when men and women would actually give us attention because we weren't getting it from each other. Um, and so we just stopped communicating altogether. And this is not the part of our story I get emotional on. So um, so it's seven years. Yeah. Okay. So at at kind of this point, when this is all crescendoed at this point, <clears throat> you're going to get it back in a minute. I know you are. Um, we we call it the big talk. Uh, any of you ladies? It was the come to Jesus meeting is any, what it was. Have you ladies had the big yeah. talk yet? There's probably some hands that just aren't coming up that you're thinking we need to or we have, and we had that. And Jennifer was faithful, and she goes, "Hey, I I've got to sit down and tell him where I'm at." And, uh, and she did. And I remember asking her after she kind of very lovingly unloaded on me. She, and I mean that not in a negative way. Like, she told me everything. And I remember asking her, do you still love me? Because I've just idolized Jen and uh, had a very unhealthy relationship in that where, you know, she is number one in all things and God wasn't. And I just remember going, we never talked about divorce. That, never, that word never even came out. But I'm like, it really feels like that after this talk. And she said no. So that kind of validated some of that. And so I just remember that weekend, I, I don't think I said. Mm -mm. He didn't say anything. I'm a bit of a crier. I'm known around here as the man crier. I don't know. Where, <laughs> not, not the dog whisperer. I'm the man crier. So yeah. <laughs> maybe your husband struggled with crying. Tell him to come see me. But um, I just kind of boohooed that whole weekend because I just really thought it was over. Remember I-30, bridge, box, that's where I go. Um, but that was not the end, and there was a ton of hope that was on its way. So the first thing um, 
that we did um, in the middle of that. I remember just not having girlfriends around me or having anybody that I could talk to. wasn't talking to my sister who was at Watermark, and um, she would share the, oh, Todd just gave this awesome message in, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, and always diverted and just really didn't want to hear it because at the end of the day, you know, we were at a church that just didn't believe that anybody at Watermark was going to heaven. And so, um, just to be really blunt. Um, and yeah. so it was like, we why am I going to listen? Church. Why yeah. am I going to listen to, you know, what Carla has to say, Carla, like, do you know what they do there, Jen? Honey, they have musical instruments. Like they have, there's just, it was, now I look back and I'm like, it was so silly. Um, Tadashi was rapping the first Sunday. Yeah. We came and we went to a church that had no music. And I yelled out, Jennifer, we're going to hell. And all these, all these watermark people turn around and looked at me. I go, you're going to hell too. Like all of you are going to. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Scary. But before we came to Watermark, we actually joined a marriage communication class. And that was our first, first exposure to Watermark. And it was just game changer for us. And we weren't going to church there, but we attended for a six to eight week class and just kind of gave, gave us some tools to use and how to do things better. The speaker listener will wear you out. We wore it out and just, I would go, okay, speaker listener, here we go. And he goes, didn't we just do this yesterday? And it's just because we had Five no, we had no uh, tools or we didn't know how to communicate well at all. We didn't know how to talk to each other. We didn't know how to bring something up kindly, how to say something really hard, but yet I need you to hear what I'm saying because I'm dying over here. We just didn't know how to do it. And so that was huge to go through that marriage communication class. Um, and then in the middle of that, Andy had a guy at Watermark just said, hey, I just don't think you know what God did for you. I don't think you know how much you're loved. Mm-hmm. And so um, Andy accepted Christ and fully surrendered at that moment. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you just think back on the people in your life that, loved you enough to share the gospel with you. And I remember coming to Christ on the eighth floor of the tower at Watermark at like 6.30 in the morning on week six. And he said, just, just go through the Bible with me for eight weeks. I'm not gonna sell you. I just wanna just, I wanna let you know what Christ did for you. And I remember week six like, oh my gosh, he did that for me. And that, that's where the click started happening. It started happening after the big talk, but that's really what brought it into focus and accelerated everything for me. And, you know, through that, we, we got pursued to be in community. There was these crazy people that lived in Rowlett, Texas at the time where we lived. And they called me, like, every day, these men, like, hey, um, would, you, would you come to be in our community group? Because they lived out there, too. And there were only, like, three couples that lived in Rowlett at the time. <clears throat> and I'm like, no, I know what you guys are talking about. You're talking about pornography. You're talking about debt. You're talking about all this stuff that I'm in the middle of. And I do not want to talk about that. And so they just kept pursuing. Jennifer goes, maybe we should try. So we finally went. And of course, like on the first Sunday, we were both the most dressed up people there. <laughs> so I thought you dressed up to go to church, you know, and put on your look. And uh, they, they just quickly started breaking that down. And, and we were able to confess $95,000 worth of credit card debt. Imagine that. And then they walked with us for three years. And in three years, God just took that away and just paid it. Um, and some of the hardest jobs I had, too. Uh, Jen and I learned to make each other a priority. We go to Sam's together. Uh, I mean, we, we take our German Shepherd on a walk together. Uh, we're on the same page with our kids. We know what's going on with them. We diligently fight. I was in Las Vegas all week, uh, this, this week, at a conference, and every day we would talk. You know, we had a pretty spirited talk last night about fighting for our youngest son because he's got some kids around him. I mean, we are on the same page on that stuff. And I love it. 
you know, and she goes, hey, you seem really geared up. And I go, I just love that kid. And I love that I get to pursue him with you. That, that is important. And then just learning to pray for each other. Jen, you know, she says she doesn't like to speak. She's pretty good at it. She's a lot better than me at it, I think. And uh, just, you know, just waking up this morning going, God, just take this from her. You know, just being able to pray for your spouse softens your heart. And, and it helps them, right? So uh, it's a sweet thing we get to do. Um, so one of the last things that we do um, that really helps us toward um, a healthy marriage is just we have weekly meetings. And so what that looks like is normally every Sunday afternoon we sit down together and we actually put the questions up here for y'all. And I think y'all have a handout and I actually put the questions on the handout so y'all can just take that with you. Um, but we sit down every Sunday and we just ask ourselves for, ask each other four questions. And it's not a time for you to have stored up everything for the week and you sit down and you just go, let me tell you what my list is. You should be having short accounts throughout your week. But this is a way that you're inviting the other person in to share with you. You're saying, I wanna grow to become more like Christ. How can I do this better? And so it's just, four questions. How have I loved you well this past week? How could I have loved you better this past week? And these don't have to be rocket science things. You know, hey, honey, when I came home and you said you had done all the laundry, like that loved me really well. I hate laundry. I really do. It's a beating and it doesn't ever go away. You You don't? No. Um, So anyway, and then how could I have loved you better? You know, is there something that you're just asking them? And so it's not a time, like I said, to air everything that you've been holding on to. It is a time for you just to share because you ultimately want them to grow. Um, Is there any repetitive sin pattern that you have seen in me this past week? And what that can look like is um, if Andy, I feel like, has been short-tempered with the kids, our youngest He's a ball of fire, and I love him to death, but he is probably our hardest one. And um, Andy can have a lot of impatience with him. And so this is just a time to go, hey, I feel like you've been really impatient with Carson. I feel like you've been really short with him. I feel like you're just not, you're not helping him in those moments. You're just pushing him further into anger. And he already struggles with just getting frustrated and angry. And so um, it's just a great opportunity to tell Andy, hey, here's what I've seen. Okay, um, and then last is how can I pray for you next week? What does next week look like for us? What is our schedule? This is also where we talk through our schedule. We talk through finances. Are we doing well on our budget? Um, here's something big coming up next week. Hey, we got this marriage conference last weekend. Let's pray about that together. And so it's just how can I pray for you? What's heavy on your heart so that next week looks really well and we're on the same page as we start our week? And so this is something we have done every week. Um, for years, and it has really helped us to be on the same page and has helped us just to have, this is emotional intimacy, ladies. This is the part we love, right? We want them to talk to us. We want them to share with us. And so, and it's just not a time to be defensive. It's a time to say, thank you for sharing that with me. And I'll, I'll tell you on this one, uh, we, we get to be involved as community shepherds in a lot of pastoral care stuff. And usually when I'm just meeting with the men, this is one of the things that I say, hey, I want you to try something. I want you to take it home this week, and I want you to implement these three or four questions. Schedule 30 minutes with your wife in a time that's good for you. Rarely will they do it. So ladies, you may have to lead out and initiate this. Hopefully they'll do it on their own, but once they do and they get to see it, you know, all those negative communication patterns, negative interpretation, withdrawing, escalating. What was the last one? Validation. You, you got that one, right? Validation. <laughs> I, you don't, but you may hear that. Um, all those things start to kind of drift away because you're inviting your spouse in instead of 
pushing it towards them. And that's probably the thing that's helped me as a withdrawer to do the best because she goes, hey, uh, I get to ask her, what have I done to cause you harm? And then she gets to share that. So it just changes the whole paradigm of communication because it's not her throwing rocks, right? It's her answering my question. So give your husbands an opportunity to do that. I think you'll be really surprised at how they work out. And lead out in that. Don't just sit there and go, we're going to do four questions, you go first. Like, lead out in that. I'm sure some of you are tired of leading out. Try that here. It, it may be a real sweet thing for you. Um, so now we're just going to give you all a few minutes at your tables. We've got three dis- discussion questions for you all to talk about. And then I'm going to get back up and just talk to you all personally about just steps that you can take to choose to love and respect your spouse. Um, number one, in what ways have you invited bitterness and resentment into your marriage? Number two, when is it hard for you to love and respect your spouse? And number three, what is your next faithful step toward a God-honoring marriage? So y'all have about 10 to 15 minutes to talk at your tables, and then I'll be back up in a few minutes. How heavy you want this up? I hope y'all had some great time at your tables just talking through these questions. I know I would have loved to have processed number one with someone in the middle of what we, Andy and I were going through. Um, and just talking about that and getting some wisdom. And so now we are going to, I'm just going to spend some time specifically just talking to you about what does it look like practically to choose to love and respect your spouse. And I just think of the word choose, and we have choices that we make every day. We get up in the morning, and we choose what we're going to have for breakfast, and we choose what we're going to wear, and we choose where we're going to go, and what are we going to do with these children so I'm not in the house with them all day long, and we're going to choose how we use our time, or what are we going to do when they nap. And so I feel like we're constantly making choices Um, And yet those choices are not always easy choices, and those choices can also give us a mindset that doesn't always turn out well for us. In order to choose well, we have to invite others in, and we definitely have to invite the Lord in. And so we're going to talk about, we're going to spell the word choose, and we're going to talk about six things this morning. Um, And the first one um, is just cultivating a new mindset. Um, Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And before I talk, there is a handout, and if you flip it over, there's actually a place y'all can take some notes. Y'all see that? Okay, some people love the notes taking, and so this will bless you. Um, And so just talking about the choices we make um, and just what what are we thinking about? What is going through your mind? What what do you wake up thinking about? What do you wake up at 2 a.m. thinking about? Are you thinking about a conversation you had with someone that didn't go well? Are you thinking about a conversation you need to have with someone? Maybe you and your husband had an argument the night before. Maybe you went to bed upset and angry and you didn't get to talk through that. Um, maybe you're having a really hard time with one of your kids or maybe your kids just aren't obeying right now. And so what, what, are, what thoughts are consuming your mind? And a lot of times we don't always go to thinking the positive thoughts. We go to thinking the negative thoughts. And those negative thoughts turn into just complaints. And I feel like there are times when I can get to lunch and I'm like, wow, I I feel like I'm not in a good place and it's only noon or 10 a.m. or some of y'all have probably been up since 5 and by 10 you feel like you've been up for the whole entire day. Um, Again, you're going to get all that sleep back, promise. Um, Anyway, and so I just think about what thoughts are consuming your mind and what are those complaints turning into? I know for me, when I go through those times of just complaining in my mind and I'm just thinking negative patterns over and over, then I'm just a very unhappy person. The way I respond to my spouse, the way I treat my kids, the way I can love on other people well does not turn out very good when I have those constant complaints and those um, thoughts in my mind. And so what would it look like if we turned our complaining into gratitude? What would that look like? 
How often do you get up and write down what you're thankful for? So if you started your morning every day, got up, made a list, you can write down one thing, you can write five things, ten things. What are you thankful for? And chain, take those complaining things, the, the kid that is so difficult and hard for you, and how do you turn that into something to be thankful for? So I talked about our younger son, Carson. Um, fourth child is a beautiful thing. It really is. He, they can be easy. Um, but Carson is our full of energy, full of life. He reminds us that we need to have fun every single day. It can kind of wear you out because you're like, hey, buddy, we're just going to chill for a little bit. Um, but also he has ADHD, and so we have that whole other dynamic. And sometimes people can look at Carson. He's kind of going to be the little mischievous one. He's going to say, hey, let's go do this, even though I know we shouldn't probably do that. So he's going to push every button that we have. And for a lot of people who see Carson, they can just go, oh, that kid is a troublemaker, and he is a mess. And I've had, I've watched parents treat him bad, and I've watched my own family treat him bad because they just he, don't want to give him a chance. They don't want to be patient with him. And yet, Carson, my reason for telling this story is I can, com, could complain, and people can complain about him all day long. And the flip side of that, like, because of this kid, he has taught me as a mom so much. He has helped me know how to love, how to be patient, how to get in there with him to understand his heart and to really process those moments of anger when he gets really, really frustrated and he doesn't know what to do but just lash out at everyone in the house. He's taught me how to stay grounded and really help him through that. And so, again, complaining, we're going to turn that into gratitude. And so if we have gratitude, then we have joy. And we know that all of our joy comes from the Lord. Our happiness can be circumstantial. It can be whatever's going on in our life. It can be whatever hard thing we're dealing with. But our joy truly does come from the Lord. And so if we start off our morning just writing down what we're thankful for, take that paper and look at it throughout your day. When you start complaining, go back and look at what you're thankful for. I don't think we spend enough time truly being thankful for things in our life. And when we are thankful um, and we have joy, then we're, we're content. Like we, don't, we don't need to look like the mom over here who has these things, all these things. We don't need to look like... This, uh, this group of parents who, oh, their kids behave really well. well. They must be doing something so much better than we are. Well, did you see the neighborhood that they moved into? Or, well, but they don't have any kids that have any special needs. Or they don't have any kids that have any behavioral issues. Or they, just, they don't have the difficult child, right? And so we always continue to want those things that we don't have. And I think until we get ourselves in a place of thinking gratitude and we think and just to get a constant mindset of being thankful always we can never sit in a place of contentment so are you spending more time looking around yourself or are you spending more time looking up how many times in the moment when your kids throw in a temper tantrum or someone has hit someone or someone's not sharing how many times do we just sit in the moment of where we're at or do we in that moment do we look up and we go hey god help me you know, help me, give me guidance today. Help me, how do I handle the situation, right? Sweet friend of mine, oh, she, she gave me this advice once, and I wish I was now a young mom, so I'm gonna give it to you guys. And I was like, I, I could have used that. That was so good. Her kids will be um, not getting along, and one of them will be probably causing a little bit of trouble, and she'll remove him from the room. And she goes in and she tells him, says, hey, buddy, we are going to miss you so much. We're going to be out here and we're going to be doing some things. But while you're in here sitting, we're going to miss you. And we cannot wait for you to come back. But we need you to, you know, get yourself in a better place first. And I'm like, we're going to miss you? Like, I need you to go in the other room because you're driving me crazy. And it was just like, again, that was the heart of just teach, you're teaching your child that, hey, I love you even if you're in this room and you're in trouble. Right? I love you. 
one thing that Carson, like I said, our youngest taught me was you love them going into a conversation, you love them in the middle of the conversation, and you love them coming out of the conversation. And you have to tell them that the whole time. Okay, Carson needs to know, hey, I love you. We need to have a talk. Hey, in the middle of it, I love you. And hey, when we're done with our talk, hey, I still love you, right? And there's just a really safe place when you've done that for years. There's a really safe place that your kid can come home and go, well, just got out of accountability. (sighs) Told him I F-bombed the whole football team today. And you're like, nice, you know, and, but there's a, he felt completely safe to come home and tell his mom and his dad, like, I cuss. And I'm like, but do you cuss often? Like, how often do you do that? Did everybody on the football team hear you? And he was like, pretty much. He goes, I was angry. I didn't cuss at anybody, mom. I just was mad. I was just frustrated myself, but I still just said it. And so again, we love them in the middle of it and we love them at the end. Um, So. Our view of God changes how we things, see things around us, how we view our world, how we view others, how we view our spouse. So what is your thought about God? What do you know about him? Do you know who God is? Do you know what his attributes are? Do you know what his character is? Do you know what those quality traits are? That we're ultimately supposed to look more like him. We're supposed to look like these attributes that he has. And he doesn't Oh, I'm, God doesn't say, oh, I'm going to be good today or I'm going to be faithful today. It's just, his, it's just his existence. It's who he is. He can't help it, right? It's just what I wouldn't love just to automatically have that quality, right? Just get up in the morning and I'm, I'm faithful today. I'm uh, trustworthy today. I can extend grace today. And it's just easy and natural, but we have to work at it. We have to choose and we have to make that choice. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are you allowing your circumstances to interpret your view of God? Or are you allowing your view of God to interpret your circumstances? I'm going to ask that one more time. Are you allowing your circumstances to interpret your view of God? Or are you allowing your view of God to interpret your circumstances? Our problem is not... Our friends, our problem is not the money we have. Our problem is not where we live. Our problem is not the college our kids uh, go to. Our problem is not our spouse. Our problem is that we don't have a right view of who God is. That's our problem. We don't see him for being good and faithful and loving and caring and that he's never gonna leave us and that he died on a cross for us. That is our view of God. And in those moments when it's hard and our husband is not responding well and he came home and he plopped himself on the couch, our problem is not that Our problem is that we don't look to God in those moments to help us choose well. Next is humbly walk out your calling. Ephesians 4.1 says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Well, you can't live a life worthy if you don't understand the calling, if you don't understand what he's called you to. And so we're going to spend a couple minutes talking about that. Um, Your calling is a divine invitation. I love that. I've read that in a Bible study a couple years ago. It's an invitation from the Lord. He is pursuing you and he is inviting you in. And we're gonna talk about several of the things he's inviting you into, but he is calling you and he's saying, hey, come. How many of us love to get an invitation in the mail? We got invited. We may not always go, but we like to be invited. And so God is inviting you in, but his plan and where we're gonna go with him is so much better than anything you could ever receive in the mail or be invited to. And so he is inviting you to embrace salvation. Over 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only son to be fully God and fully man on this earth. And he was tempted in every way that we were tempted, and yet he did not sin. 
He lived a perfect life on this earth, and he endured a brutal death. But he got on the cross for every single one of us. We weren't even born. We weren't even here. And I think, it, for me, I'm like, that's pretty cool. We, we weren't even alive, and we get to be born, and we get to choose him, and he died for stuff he already knew that we were going to do. The stuff that we've committed, the stuff that we're doing right now that is not honoring to him, and the stuff that we're going to do tomorrow or in 10 or 20 years. And so he is inviting you in to accept this salvation. And when we choose him and we choose to believe him, then our lives do get to look differently. He does come in and he changes us. He is inviting you into his story of redemption. We are no longer this old creation and this person who is in bondage to sin and is captive and we, we can't move. We can't experience any freedom. Hey, we chose this invitation, we accepted Christ. We said, I believe in you. I believe who you are. I believe you are Lord of my life. And now I'm gonna move forward into this new person that you've created me to be. And he immediately in that moment comes inside of us and gives us the Holy Spirit. We're gonna talk about being a helper in a minute to your spouse. And yet I'm thinking, we gotta help her every day. Like the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to help us every single day. And we don't, I don't always take advantage of it. He is always there, but how many times do we not listen? How many times do we go, yeah, I know I need to probably talk to her about that, or I probably need to talk to my husband about that, but that's really hard, or it's probably not going to go well. He's really been stressed at work, so I just need to not say anything. And then we stuff, and then the bitterness comes, and then we get into a place that's just not healthy. It's not good. He's inviting you to build his kingdom on earth. Are you sharing the gospel with people? I am not very good at it. I have a heart, and I love the gospel, and I will, if you ask me, I will be happy to share with you. My husband kills it, okay? And he kills it because he was walking in a different place I was. And I don't know where you're at, but when you, you became a believer, you accepted this invitation, and you accepted this grace, and it has changed your life. And so we should have, again, a heart of gratitude that wants to step out and share with others this grace and this truth and just what God has done for them. Because we don't want anybody to sit and live in sin. We want everybody to know what he's done. And so Andy went uh, travels some, and so um, he just got back, and we were talking about this last night, and he said, and I said, you shared with the Uber driver, didn't you? And he was like, yes, I did. And so it's just sweet. Is so faithful at just being an evangelist and sharing the gospel. And so don't miss opportunities of people being right in front of you. But also don't miss that your actions and how you're living out what you believe is just as much a display of the gospel. Your marriage is a display of the gospel. I love how the scripture talks about how we are, our marriage is supposed to look like Christ in the church how I love Andy, how I serve Andy, how I die to myself every day, how I put him before myself every day is the gospel. People are watching that. People that are non-believers, people that are believers, they are watching marriages and they're like, well, but I, he doesn't treat his spouse very well or she doesn't talk to him very kindly. So just remember, we are a visual representation of Christ in our marriages. We can't choose to serve our spouses when we don't fully accept his invitation. Open your Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed, profitable for reproof and correction, and it's equipping us for every good work. Are you spending time in God's word? Do you know the Lord? And I talked about this a minute ago, but do you really know the Lord? Do you, are you focusing on his attributes and his character? We are to imitate Christ 
to put on Christ, to do the things that he does, to wear the same character traits that he wears and be like him. But if we're going to imitate Christ, then we have to know Christ. And if we're going to know Christ, then we have to read his word. We cannot know the Lord if we are not in God's word. I remember a couple years ago just feeling like I was doing a Bible study. I'm listening to a podcast. I'm talking to someone on the phone. We're talking about something they read in scripture. But I, I was just praying. I was like, Lord, I just, I feel like I'm missing something. And there is a Bible study. I don't know if I put it on your handout, but um, she reads truth, has a Bible study called The Attributes of God. Super simple, but game changer. It will help you understand who he is and his character. And those are qualities that we need to fully understand. When we know God's big, when we know he knows everything, when we know he's not going to leave us, when we know he's just, when we know he's good and loving, it changes how we respond. It changes why we choose. It changes everything about our lives. And so what is keeping you from being in your Bible? There's a reason why Todd and the elders have stressed and have done so many messages lately, even in our Community Better Together series They have stressed being in God's word. There is something about opening up God's word and just reading. It is very different than something you listen to in the car. Yeah, that can feel good. But being in God's word and listening to him literally speak to you from the pages that you're reading, you can't get that from a podcast. So what are your excuses? Why are you not in God's word? There's two things that I hear. One is time. Y'all have a lot of time? Do y'all young moms have a lot of time? But I will challenge you because I promise you've been on Instagram. I promise you that you've chosen just to go run to Target because why not, right? You probably decided, I don't diss why you took a nap. I really understand that. So, right? But what I'm at saying is, are you prioritizing your time in God's word? Are you saying, hey, today, I don't have to go run that errand because I haven't been in the word today and I've kind of been snippy with my kids. I've not been handling them well. And so you know what, we're going to leave 15 minutes later. Hey, kids, I need y'all to sit here, and I'm going to give you a little something y'all can do together. Your mom needs to get herself right with the Lord right now. I am not doing well, right? I need to go spend some time with Jesus and let him remind me of who he is. So the rest of our day looks really great. And then we can go to the park, and we can have a great time. But mom needs some time with Jesus. So we don't make it a priority. We don't spend as much time with him as we do on our phones. Or watching our favorite show. We have favorite shows too. Andy and I watch a couple of them. They're the highlight of our week. Um, it's just we make it a priority every night to sit down together for 30 minutes to an hour. And normally I'm like, you want to watch the show? Um, in the beginning he was like, sure, honey, we can watch the show. Now he's excited and we enjoy it together. But what if we spent just as much time watching, our, watching TV and on our phones when we spent that time with the Lord? How would our lives look differently? How do we make those choices differently? How would we look at our spouse differently? We get to, again, have that heart of gratitude when we understand who God is. Second, maybe you have zero desire. I hear that a lot. That I, had, they, I just don't have any desire to be in God's word. I don't like to read, so I just don't want to be in God's word. Well, as I, I'll uh, quote Todd, how's that working out for you? Um. Two years ago, I remember just feeling kind of dry, kind of feeling like um, I was listening to my podcast. I would read my devotional. I would catch something. Someone would send me an email from, God, you know, um, desiringgod.org. All great. Those are all wonderful, and there's lots of scripture in those. And I just remember still feeling kind of empty and feeling like, 
something's missing. And I would be in the Word maybe two or three days a week. And so in order for me to have a desire to be in God's Word, I had to establish some discipline. And so I just prayed. I, had, I reached out to my account, uh, community group, and I just said, hey, girls, I need to be in God's Word consistently every single day. I need you to ask me, how are you doing, Jen? Are you in God's Word are you reading it? I know that's the desire of your heart. And so sometimes it felt like I checked the box. It was like, okay, I'm going to go sit and do my 15 minutes because I know I'm supposed to do that. If that's what you have to do, then go sit for 10 or 15 minutes and just open the Bible and read, okay? After two or three months, he changed my heart. He put a desire in me that wanted to be in his word every day. So don't look at it as a check the box. Look at it as you are put going through a discipline. We probably all have things that we do really well. We're disciplined in certain areas really well. But I just don't think most of us are disciplined in spending time with him. We can't imitate Christ in our marriage when we aren't reading his word. Next is on your knees. Are you praying? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says to rejoice always. Pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. Doesn't say you pray when you feel like it. Doesn't say you pray when things are really hard. Doesn't say when you pray when you're like, oh, Lord, thank you for this. This is so great. It says pray continually. To me, that means all the time. And so do you pray? Do you pray for anything at all? Or are you spending any time going to the Lord? Um, my alarm I like to snooze because I do like sleep. Um, but I purposely set my alarm 10 minutes early every day. It is set so I know when it goes off, I don't have to move out of the bed yet. And I know I have nine minutes to pray. And I lay there for those nine minutes until that next alarm goes off. And I pray for Andy and his day. I pray for whatever he's going through. Maybe he's traveling. I pray for his heart being in Las Vegas, not an easy place to be um, by yourself. Um, I pray for our kids. I pray for friends that are going through things. I pray for prayer requests that have come in for me, maybe that night, maybe just sometime throughout the week. And I just lay there. I, it is the first thing I do. And I promise, if you will spend time praying, it is your time to have a conversation with the Lord. You, it is a relationship that you are having. So talk to him. Tell him, tell him where you're at. But you should always start your prayers being thankful. So go through your list. Hey, Lord, what am I thankful for today? And lay it out. We should be thankful first. Thank him for what he did, getting on the cross and dying for each one of us. And then make your request known. He wants to hear it. He knows it all, right? But he wants to know that you are choosing to come to your heavenly father to share what is on your heart. He wants to hear what's on your heart. He knows it, but he wants you to choose him and talk to him. I pray throughout my day. Sometimes I pray two times a day. Sometimes I pray 10 times a day. Just depends on what's going on. When you walk away from those hard situations with your kids and you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, I pray that you would help me to be super kind and sweet and loving in this moment. Or hey, a kid's fixing to come home and we're fixing to have a really hard conversation because we know something that they've been hiding from us. And in those moments, I pray, reach out. I go down the road. I'm sure I look crazy. Maybe people think I'm on my phone. Um, but just pray out loud. Have you ever prayed out loud? There is something super powerful about praying out loud. Okay, Lord, here I am driving to work. Here's what's on my heart. Here's what's going on with me. I just got a text message from a friend and just pray just out loud. You don't have to close your eyes. He just wants to hear you. Are you praying with your spouse? 
Are you praying for your spouse? That might be the better question. You should be praying for your spouse every day. And not praying that he's going to help you tonight. Not praying that he's going to get the car ready for the soccer game on Saturday. Not praying that um, he's going to respond well when he comes in and all of a sudden he's going to give you the night off. Okay, that's not what we're praying for. We are praying that our spouses know more of who Jesus is, that they can be the men that God wants them to be. And when they are the man God wants them to be, they're going to give you the night off. And they're going to come in and they're going to help you and they're going to engage. We will choose frustration in our marriage until we can be thankful and we can pray for our spouse. Set him up to succeed. All right, ladies, this is me and you raw right here because this is me speaking to you as woman to woman. Um, we are not allowing our husband to lead our home. Some of that is because maybe they're passive and they just don't want to step up and lead. But I think we have a huge opportunity in moments to help them. Okay, we are called to be their helper. God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper. From the very beginning, he said, man cannot do this by themselves. And Andy will attest to that. They cannot do this alone. He's like, and I'm going to give them a helper. And it is your job to help him. Now, we help him kindly. We help him with our sweet words. We help him sometimes a little firmly if we need to. But there is a way that we can do it to still love him. Ultimately, we want to push our men to be God's man. We want to push our men to lead our house. I push Andy because I need Andy to lead me. I push Andy because I need Andy to lead our 18-year-old son. I push Andy because I need him to tell my daughter the way a guy should treat her. So we have to get out of the way. We have a lot of tendencies to control. Do we like to control a little bit? We, I know we think that we do a lot of things better. And with our kids, we probably do a lot of things better. Okay. We're just natural at it. We're nurturers. God made us that way. We're going to handle the boo-boos so much better than the guy's going to handle the boo-boos. When our kids are hurt, do they run to dad? Not always, sometimes. Um, but ultimately, we need to get out of the way. We are, we are crippling our men because we are not allowing them to succeed. And then we do give them a job. Yes, see, that'd be great, honey. You could do baths. That'd be great. We go in and go, well, that's not how you do the bath. That's, why are you in here? You should not still be in here. You've been here for 20 minutes. The pastor in 10 minutes. We have to get them in bed in 15 minutes. I have to have quiet time. Honey, you're killing me. Like, okay, you just, you just squashed his spirit. Like, let him lead. Let him do it the way he wants to do it. Those kids need their daddy just as much as they need their mommy. And we're just in the way. We are constantly correcting them and getting frustrated by how they do things. Hey, ladies, different is not wrong. It's just different. So let them do it. Tell him what you want him to do. Do not assume that they know, okay? Andy will say deep down, we do know. The problem is, again, they have tried at different times to come in and probably tried to help, and we have just squashed them. We've said you didn't do it right. God, I can't believe you did it that way. And we just, we aren't allowing them to be who God made them to be. He's going to do things different than I'm going to do. And praise God that he, we do both differently. I'm so thankful that Andy doesn't handle his, the kids the same way that I do. So tell him what you want him to do. 
Don't assume he knows the best way to help you. Be direct and share exactly what's on your heart and what would bless you the most in that moment. So I'm gonna tell you a soccer story. So four kids under the age of six. Saturdays, if everybody's in a sport, I think our youngest was not in a sport at that time, but the three-year-old was like everybody up. And so it was like, what do you do on Saturdays? You all get in the car. And it doesn't matter if you're in the car at 8 a.m. or if you're in the car at 1 p.m., getting in the car with any young kids is just a battle, okay? Um, and most of the time, I'm gonna, this story is gonna resonate with so many of y'all, okay? You're probably getting you ready and the kids ready and the breakfast and the bags are in the car because you have to have snacks and you have to make sure they have their jacket, especially if it's in the winter and it's cold. And so you get in the car and you're in there and Andy looks at me and he goes, oh my gosh, we're late. Why can we not get out of the house on time? So I sit there and said nothing. Next Saturday, same thing happens. I get in the car and he goes, I mean, again, I mean, is it hard for us to get in the car and be on time? Said nothing. Okay, it's next, next Saturday comes around. Jen, I don't, I'm not one to in the moment say something. I'll give a little bit of time. And so I always say, you can get grace this time, and you can get grace next time. Third time, Jen's probably going to get a little vocal. And I just remember getting in the car, and he goes, I mean, is it, I just don't understand. I don't know why we can't get in the car. We're, we're going to be late again, or we're not going to show up when we're supposed to. And I just remember looking at him and saying, who did you get ready today? That was it. I didn't say, well, let me, I mean, I wanted to. Like, that's what was in my heart was like, let me share with you all the things that I just did. And he sat there and he was like, got it. So next, fast forward another week, okay, it's Friday night. We're getting ready for bed and Andy goes, hey, Jen, I'm anticipating tomorrow morning is gonna look a lot like the past four Saturdays. And so is there, what can I do to help you so tomorrow morning we can maybe get out of here on time? Okay. So he listened and Jen didn't have to, I didn't have to tear him down. I didn't have to let him know. I mean, he did later ask me like, well, what, explain to what that looks like for you. How are you feeling? Until we did talk about that a little bit more. And I just don't, sometimes they're oblivious and they don't always see what's right in front of them. And um, he said, and I said, I'll give you a job. You have one job. You can get the car ready. I need you to get all the snacks. I need you to get the chairs in the car. I need you to get the blankets. If they need to have jackets, I need you to get drinks. All yours. I'm like, that is all yours. I'm not doing any of it. He goes, okay, got it. I can do it. So the next morning, get up. I didn't even worry about the car. Like, I was like, I gave it to Andy. He's going to kill it or he's not. Like, he's one or the other, right? And so I gave it to him. He's like, you, you got it. And so I got myself ready, got four kids ready, got them eaten. And I didn't have to worry about that. Hey, I don't know if y'all know, but packing the car is a beast sometimes, right? Trying to remember all the things that you got to put in the car. And let me tell you what, he killed the car. I always say he killed the cooler. Like he rocked it all the way. From then on out, he's a cooler guy. So to this day, hey, we're going to go to the park with all the kids. Hey, honey, I need you to get the cooler ready and get in the car. I mean, such a simple thing to tell him to do and to ask him to do. And yet it took so much off of my plate. And we did get out of the house on time and we did leave early. So... It was a win. Um, another story is being up late. I don't know if y'all can relate to this, but at the end of your day, you're super tired. It's probably 8 or 8.30. 
Husbands want to go sit, right? You want to go sit, but I got to throw in that load of laundry. Oh, I need to go ahead and pack through our lunches tomorrow's school day. Oh, I need to go take care of this. I got to sign those kids' papers, like whatever it is. And I remember Andy just going, what are you still doing? Do you know it's 10 o'clock? Like, why are you still up? Why are you not like sitting here on the couch with me? What are you doing? And I was like, well, let me tell you what I'm doing. So I went through my list and he's like, oh, right? And he goes, so, and I said, you could help me. I would love to give you three things that are going to be yours. So maybe I can sit on the couch with you. And he was like, okay, three things, go. And I was like, I hate to go to the grocery store. I don't want to do it anymore. You got the grocery store. He loves the grocery store, okay? (laughs) Now, he spends a lot more time at the grocery store than he should spend at the grocery store. It takes him twice as long. You know what? I don't care. I hate the grocery store. And so I'm like, you can do all the grocery shopping, and you can do all the dishes, and you can make all the kids' lunches the night before. Do you know that I got to start sitting on the couch with my husband because I didn't have dishes after dinner? And on our house, we have a rule. Whoever cooks, you are not cleaning. And now we have teenage kids, and so that's a beautiful thing because they always have to do the dishes because they're not cooking. So, um, But again, help him. Tell him what you need him to do. It's not rude to tell, help him, and it's not rude to tell him. Lower your expectations. We like to put our expectations really, really high. And our expectations are not bad things. We want and desire good things. We really do. The problem is those expectations become the source of constant frustration. And so when that happens constantly, then we have to step back and say, are our expectations realistic and are they healthy? And most of the time, they're not probably realistic. The expectation I can put on myself may look very different on what I can put on Andy or what can I put on even another mom may not have that same expectation of herself or maybe she can't handle that. Not all of us have the same capacities. Not all of us can handle a bunch of things at one time. And so I have a model up here. Um, So we take our expectations is up here, right? Andy once showed me this. He was really frustrated at work and a guy goes, can I show you something? Because Andy just found himself in a constant place of frustration. And he said, our expectations are up here. Okay, this is what we would like and desire from our spouse, right? For one, we probably not communicated them well. And then we just put them way too high. And so here's where they meet us, right? So again, all of this in between is our constant frustration. So what would happen if we lower our expectation? What would happen if we actually communicated that? then they get to raise, kind of like Andy did at the soccer, right? He got to raise the reality of what he was doing. I got to lower my expectation because I gave some things to him, right? And then my frustration looks a lot less. And so we've got to find ourselves lowering our expectation, but we also have to find ourselves communicating it. I don't think we're telling them what we need. Tell them. Deep down, I think they want to help us. They just don't know really what is the best way to do it. And so tell them. I can remember Andy was um, leaving work, and he would leave, and he'd go, okay, honey, I'm walking out the door. I'll be leaving here in about 10 minutes, and so that tells me start dinner, right? And 45 minutes would go by, and an hour go by, and I would call him, and I would say, hey, where are you? And he was like, oh, just left the office. I'll be home, and that happened for several, like, days and over several weeks, and he would be like, hey, I feel like you're frustrated. He'd get home, and he'd go, are you frustrated at me? And I'm like, in my mind, when you say I'm leaving... That means you really left. Not, I, we ran into a guy, we had a conversation, I had to get, forgot I had to turn in this report, and I had to get something done. It really meant like you're walking out the door. 
And so, but I had to communicate that. And so I can allow myself, I, w- I was a little frustrated in the moment and I just said, hey, listen, I need you to call me when you are in your car. And it's not because I'm mad because you're 45 minutes late. It's because I'm trying to prepare dinner for you, for us and our kids so we can all sit down together and have dinner together. So there, it's a good reason why I have this expectation of you letting me know when you're leaving the office, but I need you to let me know when you're in the car and you're actually moving my direction. And again, it was just communicating well what you needed. Do you thank your husbands for anything? A lot of y'all, just guessing, are stay-at-home moms. Do you ever tell your husband thank you? You are staying at home because he is working hard to provide for your family so you don't have, you get to be home and disciple these kids that are at home with you. Do you thank him? Are you telling him, thank you for getting up. Thank you for working hard for me. Thank you for allowing us to go on family vacations. Hey, our kids go to play sports because you work hard for our family. I went back to work um, a couple years ago because we now have two kids in college. And, um, and Andy often will look at me and I have to get dressed. I don't get to go to Watermark and wear this. And so I have to like get dressed up every day I go to work. And Andy at least once a week is like, hey, honey, thank you for going to work and paying for our kids' college so we don't have debt. And so it's just the, the joy, would I rather just be at home? Yes, I would. But there is a joy in going. And I remember our oldest goes, wait a minute, you're only going to work for Kayla and I? And so it's just really sweet when your kids get to watch that and get to watch you serve them and love them. We can't choose to respect our husbands until we allow him to lead us. So help them, ladies. Embrace community. Do you have community? Maybe you're in a community group. Maybe you're not. Do you have people? Do you have anyone in your life? Not to be your yes friend. Not to get on your bandwagon and bash your husband with you. Not to tell you, oh, oh yeah, well, last week that happened to me because he didn't help me either. And I know, I know. well, call me later if you need to talk more about that. Actually, I have a list. Can we just go down through my list? Okay, that's not the friend you want. Okay, we need to have friends in our lives that are pushing us to look more like Christ. We need friends in our life to help us. And if you don't have a community group, come see someone here and let us help you get plugged in. You also have a bunch of ladies at a table around you that would love to just talk to you and help meet you where you're at. Are you inviting others in? Are you sharing what's on your heart? Like, really sharing what's on your heart. And it's okay to say, hey, I'm struggling with my husband right now. Here's where I'm at. Here's why I can't choose to love him right now. Here's what's taking place in my home. Now, I know that that's not where God wants to lead me, and I know God wants to change my heart, and he wants to help me to choose to love and choose to respect him regardless of what's happening. But I'm really struggling. You need to be sharing that with your spouse. You need to be telling him where you're at. You need to be telling others, telling your friends, We need our women in our life. I truly believe us women, we are made for relationships. And we like that emotional intimacy with our spouse, but we need our girlfriends. We really need our girlfriends. A friend once told me recently that joys that are shared are multiplied and sorrows are halved. And if that doesn't give you a picture of what community looks like or to have people in your life is that when I'm going through something really great, oh my gosh, it is so much bigger because I just shared it with you and you are sharing my joy. You're, you're in this with me. Or we had a hard thing happen in our community group a couple weeks ago and we all got on the bandwagon with them and they just said, you know, this is hard and this is heavy, 
but y'all are fully engaged and y'all are with us and we know y'all are praying with us. And so it just doesn't seem as big as I thought it was going to feel. Are you sitting down with your girlfriends and are you asking how they're doing? And I don't mean the occasional, hey, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, me too. Have a good day. Like, how are you really doing? Do you ever say, how are you really? Do you ask the next question? Oh, I'm good. Nothing's on your heart. You're not struggling with anything. Spouse and you are good. You had no problems with your kids this week. Your heart's not an ugly place. You haven't been in God's word four times. Nothing's going on with you. I'm good. I, uh, we, our 18-year-old son um, at 12 and 13 was, like to run his mouth. Um, he thought it was really fun to get in battles with mom and I would engage with him and get super frustrated. I think it's the first time I ever cussed at a child. And um, he was going up the stairs and he would do the whole battle with me like, well, mom, so do you want to make it another week? How about two weeks? You want to make it three? And just kept going up with me. And I was like, hey, Carter, I think now's the time to stop talking. And he'd go, he'd go, well, I'm not done. And so how about four weeks? Do you want to make it five? Oh, mom, this, and I literally looked at him. I'm not going to say the word. And I said, you are a pain in my bottom. And he goes, classic. That's what you do. You cuss at your son, mom, when you're mad, right? Okay, then big sister comes out and she goes, mom cussed at you? So not a proud moment at all, okay? I'm telling you this story because we were just having a really hard time with Carter. And I remember a girlfriend, and he got grounded for five weeks. He spent three of those. He ended up serving all three, three of the five. We said if your behavior got better and you changed things around, you might could lose some weeks, but you had to do three. 21 days is a very long time with your son at your hip everywhere you go. He cooked dinner with me. He ran on errands with me. He had to spend quiet time in his room. Like everything I did, that child was right there. The first week, he was mad. He, would ha- he was just furious. The second week, he was like, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe I have been running my mouth. Third week, he had scripture posted on his door from his small group leaders. And so I remember a friend calling me, and she was like, hey, how's Carter? Like, she's like, he just doesn't look happy. Like, I, her son and Carter were best friends, and she was like, I just, I see, he's, is he okay? And at the end of that conversation, she goes, well, how are you, Jen? And I'm like, I'm okay. It's been, I'm okay. And she was like, hey, Jen, how are you really doing? And I burst into tears. Because I don't think anybody, most of the time we are like, well, how's it going with so-and-so? But I think sometimes we forget, like, us moms are feeling everything our kids are feeling. If they're hurting, if they're struggling, we're going through that with them. And sometimes we forget to ask, like, hey, how are you in the middle of this? Your spouse has just lost his job or he can't find a job. But, hey, as his wife, how are you doing? I think we, we really miss asking each other, how are we really doing Are you following up with your friends? Are you asking people to follow up with you? When you share with your friends what's going on, are you saying, hey, next week I need you to ask me that, or could you call me in two days and see how I'm doing with that? I need you to follow up with me. I love people to follow up with me. It's not not a a natural thing for people to do. People are not naturally intentional. Are you intentional? Do you reach out? And when you say I'm praying for someone, did you really pray for them? Or do you just say, hey, I'm going to be praying for you? Have you thought to stop in that moment when they share something to just pray right there with them? I was in the car with Kayla. Went to, she's um, 
leads at Aggie Sisters for Christ at A&M. And we were in the car, and she's going through some hard stuff with a roommate. And this friend called and just left her voicemail. And she had it on in her car so I could hear the voicemail. It was, you know, in the whole car. And she just said, hey, Kayla, I know you're having a hard time. I just want to tell you I was thinking about you, and I'm praying for you. And um, I just would love to stop right now and just pray for you. And literally broke out into a prayer right there on the voicemail. It was one of these sweetest things. I'm like, how many times do we say, oh, I'll be praying for you. And then we walk away and really don't do it. Like, how hard is it to stop in that moment and just pray for somebody? Or if you did pray for them, send them a text message and say, I just prayed for you. Hey, you were on my mind this morning, and I wanted to tell you that I love you, and I just prayed for you. I thought of you today. Hey, I went and got a drink, and I thought of you today when I got this drink. It's, it's, do you feel loved when you get that from somebody? But yet we just don't do it. We don't take time to do it. And I think we are missing the opportunity and these relationships God has put in our life. We need our women. We need each other so badly. And we're missing all of these opportunities around us because we're just not taking them. We can't live out a godly marriage without humbling ourselves before others and confessing sin and asking for help. Talk to people. Francis Chan said on a Bible study I heard last year, People think we fall in and out of love, but we don't. Love is not something you just say or that you feel. Love is an action. We choose to love every day. We shared our story earlier, Andy and I did, and um, had our big talk. And I think back on the question Andy asked me at the end of our talk when he said, do you love me? And I said, no. And I believe in that moment, I was going off of emotion, this, the love sense of the emotional side of the word, of just that feeling that you get, that touchy-feely love feeling. And yeah, I didn't feel that from him. But did I care about him? Did I love him in the sense of just who he was? I mean, he'd been my best friend since fourth grade. We've known, known each other for 35 years. That's a long time. I know everything about him. And yet, when I think back on that question, if he would have asked me that question today... I think I might have said, hey, I'm really struggling to love you in the way that God has called me to love you. So if I think back on that question, I stopped choosing to love Andy. I stopped choosing to respect him. I stopped choosing to serve him. I stopped choosing to communicate well. Again, we go back to we have choices to make. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It makes no account for wrongdoing. It is an action we are called as wives to help them, and we are called to communicate, and we are called to love them no matter what. Christ loves us no matter what. It's not conditional. It doesn't matter what you're going through. If you cussed at your son, it doesn't matter. He still loves you, and he gives you grace. And so how are you doing giving grace to your spouse? How are you doing loving him in those moments? Do you go back to the cross ever? Do you ever in those moments when you're frustrated and he says something and you don't like it, do you ever go the cross, and think about that. I have to do that often because I'm a very defensive person and I will just spit it right back out. And so sometimes I go, hey, Jen, maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe he's just having a hard time. Maybe something else is going on in his head. I don't even know yet. We haven't even talked about yet. So again, get, getting that mindset, looking to the Lord first, looking up first, quit looking around us first. We look around us so much and it consumes our time and it consumes our minds we're not looking up enough. We aren't knowing who our Lord is enough. What choices can you make personally that will allow you to love and serve your spouse today? 